The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 14, Episode 19. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of authors Kisto Healy, Kyle Harrison, and Warren Benedetto. Tonight we'll hear stories of watery wonders, shivery sailboats, sinister shipwrecks, Salty Secrets. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit SimplyScaryPodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now... It's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. <laughs> the show is about to begin. Ha <laughs> vast, me mateys, as we face the wrath of the briny deep, 
There'll be things ahead that'll send shivers through the spines of the bravest of souls. But fear not, because unlike certain infamous rides at theme parks, sometimes dead men do tell tales. Kisto Healy leads us in our first tiptoe into the waters of treachery as we hear about a great wonder below the waves, a tale from his World Beneath universe. Just be careful what you look for. Some wonders are not as enjoyable as they're cracked up to be. Without further ado, I present to you the next wave. Leon closed his eyes and inhaled, the sea breeze whipping at his dusty blonde hair. Are we almost there? he asked. Carlos nodded and realized the man's eyes were closed and cleared his throat. Yeah, we're coming up to it now. And neither of you have a bad feeling about this, a light-skinned black woman with short hair said as she walked up behind them. Leon opened his eyes and turned toward her. Oh, I have a terrible feeling about this, but if we're going to understand what's going on, we have to go down there. I can't believe they all came back, Carlos said. Mick, Sarah, all of them. Did they, though? asked the woman. None of them seemed like themselves at all. They barely seemed like people. It was frickin' weird. Nina's right, Carlos said. And they tell us they found the most amazing thing and we need to see for ourselves, and we just take their weird-ass word for it and come out here. What are we doing? Finding the truth, Leon said with a smile. We're researchers, isn't that what we do? So you really think we're going to find some holy grail down there? Some sunken ship or pirate treasure or something? Nina asked. She looked with fearful eyes at the circle of black water they were rapidly approaching. Hell no, Leon said. I think we're going to find out what really happened to the others and why they came back like a bunch of smiling zombies, raving about how wonderful this place is. Do you think? That could be dangerous, Nina asked. We have no idea what we'll be walking or swimming into. We've got pressure watches that also monitor our breathing and heart rate. We've got bailout cylinders in case of an emergency, and we all have knives. We're going to be all right, Nina. Leon told her with a pat on the arm. And I brought this, Carlos said. He showed them a Heckler and Coke P-11 he brought a gun. Bullets deep underwater are essentially a shove, Leon said. It's electric, Carlos said back. It's made specifically for deep sea use. I think it's a good idea, Nina said. Just don't shoot one of us, Leon said. The boat came to a stop and they all turned toward the cabin. A tanned woman with red hair that was buzzed on one side came out. All right, folks, we're here. Let's gear up and see what's down there. Cassie, Leon said. To fill you in, Carlos brought a gun. In my defense, Carlos said, lifting his hands. Last time I went down, my gear got impaled by a swordfish. I almost didn't make it. I'm not taking any chances. There's no swordfish anywhere near this area, Cassie told him. Carlos looked over the edge of the boat at the almost perfect circle of blackness in the sea. Looks like a damn black hole. Who knows what's down there? For starters, Mick and all the people who've already gone down there, none of them mentioned swordfish. None of them mentioned anything of you, said Nina nervously. They came back sounding like religious fanatics babbling about miracles. All the more reason to go see ourselves. Enough chatting. Let's go. How far does it go down? Carlos asked as they dove. Watch is already showing we're near danger and I haven't seen anything yet. No fish, no coral, just darkness. Erica said there was a cave, Cassie answered. Can't be much further. I've never seen anything like this, said Nina as she pressed on, diving deeper into the void. The water feels thick, heavy. That's your nerves, Leon said. You can't get anxious down here or you're going to get yourself killed. There, Cassie shouted, pointing ahead. 
Sure enough, there was a cave opening shining with light. We found it. Now, what did we find, though? Nina asked as she followed Cassie towards it. A huge swordfish shot out of the opening and raced right between them, straight for Carlos, who cried out and swam sideways to avoid it. I thought you said there was no swordfish, he said. His breathing panicked. Nina swam over and took his arm, trying to steady him. There's not, Cassie answered. Am I blind? Carlos snapped. I mean, there shouldn't be. Just calm down. You're going to use too much oxygen, Nina told him. Where'd it go? asked Leon. They all turned around and the fish was gone. A small clownfish wiggled back and forth nearby. I don't like this, Carlos told them. Just don't go getting trigger happy, Leon told him. They turned back and swam for the cave. The entrance was no longer there. It was just a wall of rock and living coral. What the hell? Cassie growled as she ran her hand over the surface. It was here. You all saw it. We should go back, Nina told her. I don't think we should be down here. I don't think anyone should be down here. Caves don't just disappear, Cassie said. Maybe the swordfish knows, Carlos added with bitterness. I'll show you the way, a voice said that didn't belong to any of them. When they turned, another diver was there in full gear. Follow me, he said. Mac, Nina asked, shaking her head. What are you doing here? Showing you the way, he said in a strange monotone. How'd you get here, Carlos wanted to know. Did you follow us? Are the others with you? Come on, he said as he turned and swam away. Leon started after him. Wait, what are you doing? Nina asked. Finding out what the hell's going on down here, he said as he swam back behind Mick, disappearing into the darkness. Cassie glanced over at them and followed. Nina looked at Carlos and they treaded in silence for a moment. Damn it, Carlos said then. If they're swimming into trouble... I'm the one with the gun. Reluctantly, they swam after the others. What boat did you take? Leon asked Mick as he followed him through the dark water. What brought you back? It's this way, Mick answered. Leon saw another cave opening up ahead. It looked exactly like the last one, but it couldn't be. They went straight in one direction. They would have had to swim in a circle. Feeling a bit of Nina's nervousness, he turned and glanced back for the others. He was relieved to see they were all following. Turning back, he followed Mick into the cave, the mouth of the cave. Instantly, it was tight. He told himself not to panic as he wriggled like a fish to navigate the twists and the turns of the corridor. What the hell was down here that made you need to come back so soon? Leon asked. You'll see. Cassie swam up behind Leon and found herself at another dead end. She cursed loudly as she placed her palms on the rocky surface. No, it's not freaking possible, she said angrily. Leon just swam in there. How could it be sealed? Something's not right down here, Nina said, pulling up behind her. We need to head up and just leave Leon down here, Cassie snarled. Where the hell did he even go? There was a choking gas behind him. Cassie and Nina turned around to find Carlos, impaled on the jagged bill of a swordfish. He reached for them as it swam away, taking him with it. A trail of cloudy blood flowed behind him like a smoke from an engine. They heard a scream in their ears as he disappeared. Once he was gone from sight and there was nothing left but his misty trail of blood, Nina said... He had the gun. Cassie cussed again and swam in the direction of the swordfish that had carried off their friend. Nina paid a last glance at the rock wall that had swallowed Leon, and she turned and followed. Leon was struggling to make his way after Mick. Slow down, he said. Please, it's tight in here. I'm afraid of getting stuck. Leon was wedged in tight. He couldn't go forward or backward. He also couldn't see Mick anymore. He was trying not to panic so he wouldn't waste air. 
He twisted and turned from side to side trying to get himself free. But no matter what he did, he couldn't get himself loose. He couldn't go back the way he came either. He was just stuck there, alone. He wanted to scream, to cry, but he knew it wouldn't help. He had to keep his wits about him. Leon closed his eyes and thought of his sister. He'd followed Marlene into a place just like this. It was almost identical. They were just kids. He kept telling her they needed to turn back, that it wasn't safe. Mom and Dad were going to be furious because they specifically said to stay out of the cave. Marlene scolded him and said, Stop being a stick in the mud and come on. Then he got stuck. She couldn't leave the way they came in to go get help because he was blocking the way. I'll have to find another way out, she said. Don't panic. Leon begged her to stay, but she didn't. He was screaming for her to come back, but she was already gone. He panicked and couldn't breathe. He felt like the walls were closing in, like the cave was going to crush him flat. By the time Marlene made it back with his parents, he was unconscious. Leon had been in a hospital for a week. He never forgot what it was like to be trapped there, to feel sure he was going to die. He never forgot the fear, the anxiety, the crushing weight on his lungs. Now, somehow, he followed a man that shouldn't even have been there into the same cave, only this time it was at the bottom of the ocean. He was so focused on following Mick that he hadn't even realized it was the same cave until he found himself stuck in the same spot he got stuck in when he was a child. It wasn't possible, yet it was happening. It was real and he was sure that he was going to die. He cried behind his mask, clouding the visor. When it cleared, he saw Marlene. She was still eleven and not even wearing a wetsuit or diving apparatus. She smiled at him. Just relax, she said. I can't go through you, so I'll have to find another way out, but I will. I'll find the others and bring them back. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Leon shook his head. He fought to get loose and barely moved at all. He screamed, Who the hell are you? What the hell is this place? Why are you doing this? Marlene just turned her back on him and swam away, leaving him alone just like she did when they were children. Leon was panicked now. He thrashed and writhed, screaming with everything he had. Nina and Casey were trying to find out where Carlos had gone when they stopped swimming. They heard Leon screaming through their radios. It was too loud and caused static. Something terrible's happening, Nina said. Doesn't make any damn sense. How are we even supposed to get to him? The cave closed up. It's like the rock just swallowed him and Mick both. I don't think that was Mick, Nina said. We saw him and heard him. It was Mick. I know, but it wasn't. What does that mean, Nina? It means caves aren't caves, and swordfish are where they shouldn't be, and that wasn't Mick. Cassie screamed in frustration. 
So much for miracles. All right, we keep going. We find Carlos. If he's dead, we take the gun and we find Leon and we get out of here. How do we find either of them? I don't know. They swam in a circle and all they saw was darkness in every direction. Their lights didn't even cut through it. It was like the sea had turned into space. It wasn't possible, but nothing they'd experienced since they left the boat was possible. They both gasped when Leon swam toward them in front from nowhere. I know where Carlos is, he said. Come on. He turned and swam off, disappearing in the darkness once more. The two women looked at each other. Neither had to voice their thoughts. They didn't know what else to do. It was follow him or swim up and abandon the whole thing. And so they followed. Cassie and Nina swam through the darkness calling for Leon. They somehow lost him again and both women were boiling over with frustration. Look, Nina said, pointing. A lone clownfish wriggled back and forth before them. Is that the same one we saw earlier? Cassie asked. Looks like it. I don't know. Hey, little fish, Cassie said. Do you know where our friends are? The fish turned away and swam off. Why does everyone keep doing that? Nina growled. Something tapped her on her shoulder. She turned, saw Carlos, and screamed. Her scream turned Cassie in her direction, who let loose a gasp of her own. Carlos wasn't bleeding or injured. He was looking at them through his mask like they both had lost their minds. Come on, he said to the woman. Leon's trapped. We He needs our help. What are you talking about? Cassie demanded to know. We just saw Leon. He let us out here to find you. That's not possible, Carlos said. I just left him. He's stuck in a cave. What cave? Nina asked. We found two caves and neither one of them were caves anymore. Does that make sense to you? Carlos asked. Because it doesn't make any sense to me. We saw you get impaled, Cassie told him. Impaled? By swordfish, Nina added. There's no swordfish in this area. There shouldn't be, but there was. You saw it yourself. You were angry. I think the pressure's gotten to you, Carlos said. Maybe you should head up. I'll get Leon and meet you at the boat. He swam off. Wait, Cassie called, swimming after him. Nina looked upward, and she couldn't see the boat above them. All she could see was darkness. When she looked back, she found herself alone. She swam around, trying to figure out where the others had gone. Anybody there? she asked. I don't really want to be alone down here. Please. She swam in a circle, and there was nothing but darkness. Nina felt like she was going to cry. A swordfish swam by, and she yelped. When she turned back around, she was face to face with Leon. What are you doing? he asked. Carlos is hurt. He's going to bleed out if we don't get him back to the boat. I thought you were following me. Where's Cassie? She just left with Carlos to go find you. He said you were stuck in a cave. What cave? The cave's closed up. I don't know. Nina was crying now. She couldn't take it anymore. I, 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 I can't do this. I can't. I'm going up. I'm going back to the boat. What about Carlos? Leon asked. He's hurt. We can't just leave him to die. You get him. I'm done. Nina kicked off and swam upward. She didn't get far before something grabbed her ankle, tugging her back. She cried out and tried to kick free, but couldn't. Nina screamed in panic and looked back to see what had gotten a hold of her. Carlos was holding her ankle. A swordfish was driven through his ribs from one side to the other. Blood was flowing freely from his wound into the water. That wasn't very nice, Nina, he said. I thought we were friends, and you were just going to let me die? I feel angry about that. Nina screamed, Please, just let me go. I want to go home. She tried to swim again, but was held firmly. She kicked and writhed and yelled. When she looked back again, Carlos was gone and Leon was there. Calm down, he said. Your ankle's caught up in the seagrass. I'll cut you free. Just stop fighting. Where are the others? What? Nina looked at her ankle and saw that his words were true. What's happening down here? 
Cassie swam as close to Carlos as she could. She didn't want to lose them again. Something strange was happening down here. She was already worried that Nina chose not to follow them. She hated the idea of any of them being alone down here. Carlos pointed to a well-lit cave up ahead. He's in there, see? All right, let's get him and get out of here, Cassie said. Carlos led the way and dipped down into the mouth of the cave. Cassie remembered seeing Leon swim into a cave just like this, and the cave was gone. She looked over his shoulder and saw nothing but darkness. She didn't want to lose Carlos, so she swallowed her fear and turned back to swim after him into the cave. It was tight and narrow. Added to the fear she already had, Cassie found it hard to breathe. Don't go too fast, she said. It's a lot of tight space in here. It's okay, Carlos told her. He's right up this way. It's not much further. Nina was relieved when Leon cut her free and she could swim again. Something's wrong with this place, she said to him. Really wrong. We need to head up. Please say you're coming with me. I'm afraid I can't do that, Leon told her. Nina shook her head. Don't say we have to find the others. Nothing is right down here. If we look for him, we're just going to get more lost and confused. We have to go up now. Leon shook his head as well. No, it's not that. Nina felt her fear returning. You're acting strange. I'm sorry about that, he said. She felt the knife push its way up inside her before she even realized what was happening. Her eyes went wide. Leon pushed the blade further up under her ribs until he found her heart. Why, she choked. Then her head slumped forward. Leon was gone. Where he had been was now a second Nina, holding a knife she pulled out from the first Nina's body. Because we both can't go back, she said. That would raise far too many questions. I thought you said he was here, Cassie said as he followed Carlos deeper into the maze of tunnels. He is. Where? Why haven't we found him yet? It's not much further. You said that already. I feel like you're leading me on a wild goose chase. Carlos, what the hell's going on? Carlos stopped swimming and looked back at her. Relax. Breathe. He's just up here. You can go past me and see for yourself if you don't believe me. Cassie studied him for a moment. She didn't like either option, but having him at her back felt more dangerous than the latter. No, you go. I'll follow, she said. Carlos turned back and swam ahead. She had to shimmy sideways through the narrow pathways. When she looked back, she saw nothing but the maze of rock. She had followed him deep enough into the cave that she couldn't see even the entrance anymore. She remembered being on the outside and couldn't help but wonder if the entrance was even there anymore. A surge of panic rushed through her. Part of her wanted to swim back and check, but something told her if she did, Carlos wouldn't wait and she would find herself alone in there. She swam after him, still looking back the way they'd come. Here he is. Here's Leon, Carlos said, drawing her attention back to him. She looked ahead and her panic worsened. Leon was there, but he was attached to the wall. It was like the wall had grown limbs. The rock pushed out, forming Leon's face. It twisted and contorted in a strange moan. What is this? Cassie said quietly. Carlos, what is this? This is the new Leon, he said happily. Don't worry, Carlos is out there. He pointed back the way they'd come. I will be the new you. What? The nude Leon broke from the wall and leaped onto her. Cassie screamed. She looked at Carlos, and it was like looking into a mirror. She saw herself smiling back at her, only she wasn't wearing a wetsuit or a mask. There was no oxygen tank, just a wicked smile. Cassie screamed. The boat docked and Leon's wife and kids lit up with excitement. They rushed across the boardwalk to meet him as he departed. His wife wrapped her arms around his neck. I'm so glad you're home, she said. How was the excursion? 
It was wonderful, he said, his voice full of awe and childlike wonder. I can't even figure out how to describe it to you. You really need to see it for yourself. Oh, I don't think that's for me, his wife said with a laugh. No, it is, he said. He leaned down to stare into her eyes. You and the kids. It's not an ordinary piece of sea, Tamara. It's something else. It's a miracle. She laughed again. I'm guessing it went well, she said. He broke from her embrace and knelt so his children could hug him as well. How'd you like to see something magical, he said to them. Tamara looked at him with curiosity. His demeanor seemed odd. She looked at the other members of his research team, who were all embracing their partners and families. All of them sounded the same. In the same strange, aloof version of their voices, they said things like, You need to see it for yourself. It's a miracle. We found the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. There's no way to put it into words what we found down there. You just have to see it. Tamara went to her kids and gently pulled them away from their father. She handed the car keys to her son. Now take your sister and go wait in the car, she said. She waited for him to listen. When the kids were gone, she turned to Leon and looked him straight in the eye. What the hell's going on, she asked him. Why are you all acting so strange? Leon smiled at her. I'm sorry, dear, he said. It's just so beautiful. You would understand if you came out with me, if you saw it with your own eyes. It doesn't have to be now, but you should really consider it. Share this with me. It's magical, Tamar. I mean it. She sighed. All right. We'll talk about it, okay? For now, let's just go home. Leon's smile widened. Oh, that sounds wonderful, he said, following her to the car. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I hope you enjoyed The Next Wave by Kisto Healy, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented featured author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash kisto-healy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash c-h-i-s-t-o dash h-e-a-l-y. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. Who's who anymore? Is this one that one or that one this one? I just can't keep up. But at least disappearing doors isn't too strange. One time I woke up after a long Memorial Day weekend and found somebody had made off with my front door. Not sure how, they just put a wall in its place, but it was nearly seamless. Can't say I was upset when it came back a few weeks later, though. I was beginning to get concerned about how I was going to get to my front porch. We now turn to a tale a little less twisty and turny, and more on the somber side. 
See, Kyle Harrison would like you to meet a widower who has uh, a lot of boats and has just gotten himself a new one at a steal from an auction. But despite its outward appearances, the boat does contain a secret that might explain why it was such an easy catch. Without further ado, I present to you an obsession with death. Retirement was kinder to me than most. My father taught me the importance of putting a little money back whenever I could, and in the end it paid off. I was able to get the things I wanted, and even a little more than that if I'm being honest. But it didn't make me feel whole. I hadn't felt that way since my dear wife, Deborah, died. We used to go sailing together right off the pier during the winter break. Sometimes we'd be gone for days on end, and we didn't have a care in the world. When she passed, it left a void in me that material things just couldn't fill. I tried. God help me, I tried. I'd go to auctions and buy things I didn't need. Expensive paintings, antiques that just filled my house. Nothing seemed to satisfy what I had with her. During one such auction, though, the bidding was for a yacht. The kind that Deb and I had always dreamed of owning. They had a picture of it on display. It had only one previous owner, a widower like myself, and the auctioneer claimed he and his wife had built it together. Something about that ship spoke to me as I got closer to examine the picture. I felt like if I could get out on the open waters, it would be like Deborah was with me again. And for that reason, I bid on it. There were a few others in the crowd that also took an interest, but I wasn't too concerned with the enormous price. The way they spoke about the yacht touched my heart. Maybe just being there amid the waves would rekindle a little of what I'd lost. No matter what the other bidders attempted, I made sure I won. To be honest, I actually wound up a bit in a lurch as a result, but I wasn't too concerned. I was going to get my money's worth. I could feel it in my bones. After the other items were done, I went to the front and signed the necessary payment, saying that I would pay it all by the end of the month. I wanted to tell the previous owner I was sorry for the loss of his wife, but he left in a hurry. My initial thought was that he was still grieving, the loss of his love, still causing too much hurt. A few days later, I got a text that told me the yacht would be delivered to the Southside Pier, and I drove down there to meet the moving truck. It looked even more beautiful in person. The sloop had a large blue and white mainsail, with a headsole that matched. The hull was in pristine condition, painted a darker red with the name Victoria, emblazoned on the side. I wondered if that was the name of the wife that had passed away. Once it was settled into the bay, I checked the other parts to be sure nothing was missing or broken. The rudder was in good condition, and the wheel looked like it might need a little bit of repair, but other than that, it was a fine vessel. I could see a bit of varnish peeling from the deck, and a few of the steps on the inner hull had to be replaced and were mismatched. Inside, it was a cramped space with a small bed, toilet and sink, and a few shelves for food, even a miniature stove. I didn't care too much about what was missing, though. I was all too eager to get out on the water, but the weather didn't allow me to have that maiden voyage until the following evening. With the sun at my back, I decided to take a leisurely sail out until I could no longer see land. There's something very magical about seeing the stars above you in the night sky and then finding those same beautiful, brilliant lights reflected on the water's ocean. As I got away from civilization, I let the sail up and simply allowed the boat to drift aimlessly. The waters were calm, the wind was perfect. It made for a flood of memories come surging in that I didn't anticipate. As I closed my eyes and thought of Deb, the tears finally burst forth. Maybe I held off grieving for far too long, I'm not sure. But what I felt was raw and painful, overwhelming if I'm honest. As I wept over my wife, the air got a tad colder, and I heard something behind me. 
I turned a bit to see if it was the wind blowing, but instead found myself staring at a young, radiant woman wearing a nightgown. She was standing right at the port side of the ship, looking out toward the water. Then she turned to me, her blonde hair gracing her face, and asked in confusion, Who are you? What are you doing aboard my ship? I was lost for words. I'd checked to be sure that there was no one on board beside me before I left port. Had she stowed away? I should ask you the same, I told her, as I took a step toward her, reaching for a small club behind the stern to protect myself. She looked lost, frazzled. Then her eyes brightened as she ran toward the cabin. David! David, where are you? She cried out. I watched her search the boat, a sudden grim realization settling upon me as I recalled the name of the man who sold me this yacht. Is your name Victoria? I asked nervously. She paused in her search, surprised by my revelation. How do you know that? I dropped the bat I was about to use, turning pale as a sheet and stumbling toward the wheel of the boat. I closed my eyes, telling myself this was some bad dream. My mind was playing tricks with me. Instead, when I opened them back up, the woman was still there, standing only a few feet from my face. Please. I'm sorry, don't hurt me, I begged. Hurt you? Why would I do that? She asked. I lowered my hands from my face and gave her a look. She didn't appear threatening. Certainly not the image you might conjure up if you saw a ghost in a book. You don't know what happened to you, do you? I asked her. I couldn't think of an easy way to explain to someone they were dead. It wasn't exactly a conversation that I thought I'd ever have to have. Instead, I led her to the cabin and told her to look in the mirror. She could see gashes along her head where her skull struck the boat. When she saw it, I heard a scream. I started to turn the wheel back toward the port. Victoria returned from the cabin, looking even more frightened than I was. How, how is this possible? How can I even be having this conversation with you now? She asked frantically. I, I don't know. I've lived a long life and never seen anything like this before, I admitted. We said nothing until I made it back to port, a bit startled by the experience. I docked the boat and told her that her husband was the one who sold it to me. He seemed like a good man, I told her as I tied up the yacht. She stood there on the edge watching me. I don't know what happened or how you have returned, but you're free to do as you wish, I told her, gesturing toward the pier. She tried to get off the boat, but some unseen force kept pulling her back. She did this several times, a look of desperation covering her face. I don't think... I don't think I can leave, she realized at last, standing back near the center of the boat. She was frightened. I tried to encourage her to take my hand, but she retreated toward the cabin, scared and confused. Despite my initial concern, I tried to assist her off, but it was of no use. She could go no further than the bow of the sailboat. Her spirit was bound to the ship. I don't know what to do, I admitted to her as I got back on the pier. It was late and there was no one to ask for help. Honestly, I wasn't sure what I would say if someone passed by. Please don't leave me, Victoria begged. I felt guilty. I could see how frustrated and alone she felt. So I told her I would contact her former husband. Maybe he'd have a solution. I didn't know if it was right to leave her all alone there. Even as I got to my vehicle and looked back, I saw the faint silhouette of her body standing on the edge of the railing waiting for my return. The next day, I tried to use the contact info I got from the company that had delivered the sloop to the docks, but it simply went to voicemail. The auction didn't have anything to offer me either. Apparently, David had chosen not to provide any information about himself and left without a word. What was I going to tell Victoria? I debated on whether to return to the sailboat at all, if I'm honest. I wasn't qualified to handle a troubled spirit, and I had nothing to offer her for her predicament. Was she now bound to that boat forever, unable to go to the afterlife for one reason or another?' 
The more I thought about it and how forlorn and quiet she looked when I left, I couldn't bring myself not to go back. It took a little bit longer than I anticipated, but once I was back out on open waters a few nights later, Victoria rematerialized. Her face was hopeful at first when she saw me, but I must have had a look of sadness in my eyes because she knew I was going to tell her bad news. David isn't coming, is he? She said, looking down at the waters that crashed against the hull. I wish I had better news. I just... This is so awful. I admitted. She leaned against the railing, lost in thought, her blonde hair blowing against the breeze. Why'd you come back? She asked me at last. That's an odd thing to ask. I couldn't simply abandon you, I told her. Her eyes sparkled a bit, surprised by my touching kindness. You'll have to go back eventually, though. Thank you for at least having the decency to tell me that my husband has left, she whispered. I steered the sailboat to the east, trying to think of a solution that might help us both. In some way, I could feel a connection to this ghost. We had both lost something dear to us. Maybe I could come out and take the boat for a spin next Saturday, I suggested to her. Victoria's eyes lit up at the idea. Would you come back? she asked. I'm sure, I don't see a problem with it. I enjoy sailing, and honestly, it's better to do it with company, I told her, offering her a handshake. She responded with a warm embrace. I've never hugged a ghost before, but she felt very real, even though I knew she was no longer with the living. So we made that arrangement and agreement to sail again the following Saturday, and then agreed to start doing it twice a week. For a while, the voyages were pleasant. Victoria told me a bit about her life, and I enjoyed the company. For a ghost, she was an amicable companion. I often felt sorry for her when I had to return to shore. I was sure if I could contact her husband, she would find a way to rest in peace. But each time I made the attempt, no one responded. Things didn't remain calm for long, though. I don't recall exactly when it happened... But during one late-night sail, Victoria asked if I could stay out on the water a little later than usual. I looked at the night sky and felt nervous. It was getting so dark, and it was difficult to navigate the sea. I think we should probably get back. I'm starting to get tired. She tugged at my arm, pleading with me for just one more hour. Look at those clouds. If we stay out any later, I could get lost at sea, I told her. Would that really be such a bad thing, she whispered to me. I was surprised by her words, but I understood the motive behind them, even if it terrified me. She'd been alone out for so long that out here, uh, the time that we had was precious to her. She longed for these trips more than I had anticipated. Victoria, I, I can't, I said as I started to turn the wheel toward the docks. She sullenly looked toward the open waters, disturbed and haunted by the fact that she would be trapped here for all eternity. I think we need to reach a different agreement. I told her as we got closer to the shoreline. We can't keep doing this. It's prolonging the inevitable. Your place, it isn't here, I told her. Victoria looked at me with wild eyes. You want to send me away? That isn't it at all, but your circumstances are worse than a prison. Can you see yourself trapped here on this boat forever? It wouldn't be so bad if I wasn't alone, she said, taking a step toward me. When I showed aversion to the idea again, her face darkened. You claim you've grieved your loss, but yet you're the one that's trapped, she told me. What do you mean by that? I snapped back. I see it in your eyes every time we're out in the water. You're thinking of the life you once had. You haven't moved on. These sailing expeditions are a distraction because you don't want to face the fact that your life is meaningless now. There's no need for harsh words. And what do you know about that anyway? Yours has come to an end, I spat back. She looked angry now, ready to lash out at me. She grabbed at the bow and managed to crank it away from the dock. I know that your place is with me. Don't you see that fate is what brought us together? When we're out here together, nothing else matters. 
You make me forget all the pain and sorrow in my life, she declared. We were already drifting fast from shore. I tried to gain the upper hand, but she was too strong. It would be far better for you to realize that we need each other than to keep denying the inevitable. We were destined to sail into the sea together, she declared. There was madness and desperation in her eyes. We were far enough away now that I wasn't sure how to get back. The prospect of dying here on this open water terrified me, and I stood up, grabbing the railing, trying to make her see reason. You think because I felt sorry for you that we're now bound for all eternity? What about your husband? What about the life that I led? All of it was for naught, you daft bastard. Don't you realize my husband ended my life here in this very ship? I was taken aback by a brazen statement, but what she said made sense. The blow to her head that replaced upholstery on the steps. She was looking toward the horizon, her eyes glazing over as she recalled the details. It was supposed to be our anniversary. David promised we'd get a chance to watch a beautiful sunrise together in the waters. I did not know why he did it. Perhaps he was eager to go pursue another young, pretty woman like me. But as soon as we were far from shore, he didn't hesitate. She picked up the club, the same one that I had defended myself with when we first met. I could see where the wood splintered. The wound he'd inflicted was severe. He killed me in the cabin, probably when I least expected it. Then he dumped my body somewhere out here. He knew that my family would not search for me. I abandoned them all long ago. I was the perfect target to fleece and then discard, Victoria said. Her eyes glistened with rage as she wiped away tears. I thought all men were the same, but then I met you. Your kindness and love for your wife made me think of what could have been, what I should have been able to have. She pointed the bat at me, her eyes ablaze, as she went into her rage. How can it be fair that your life was so perfect and I lost everything? How can that be fair? Tell me, she shouted. I was shaking in my boots, and she likely saw how terrified I was. I had no words of comfort to describe how frightened I was. I begged her to spare me. I don't want to die here. I know what you lost was unfair, but I still have dreams. I still want to find a way to cope and build my life together again, I told her. To my surprise, Victoria took pity on me. She said nothing, steering the boat toward the docks, as I hid and waited for her to abruptly change her mind. When we got to the pier, her friendly demeanor was replaced with cold silence. I quickly left the boat behind, trying to think of what might have changed her mind. Thank you, I whispered to her. She looked down at the tiny yacht that served as her prison. You're a good man, and I'm not like my husband. You should leave now, and don't ever return here again. I immediately turned and ran to my car, my heart pounding the entire way. When I reached it, I looked back to see if her face was still watching, but Victoria had already vanished. I felt a deep sense of angst and sadness as I drove away. I kept away from the docks for some time after that, trying my best to heed her warnings. I knew she was slowly being driven mad because of the fact that she was trapped on that boat, and it made me both terrified and depressed. This was her husband's fault, I realized. I understood now the reason why he had fled from the auction. He did not want to be cursed with the vengeance that would haunt him if he kept the sailboat. A smart move, and so far I had not considered trying to make him accountable until I realized how deplorable his actions were. To murder in cold blood and then get away scot-free? It was appalling. Victoria deserved justice. I told myself that would give her the chance to finally reach the afterlife. So I tried to reach out to the auction again to get some information. This time I pretended that I was an angry customer wanting a refund. To be honest, it was entirely untrue. I knew ordinarily all sales were final... But I promised to make such a fuss if they didn't find a way for me to contact the original seller that they finally made arrangements. 
A day later, I got a phone call that I wanted, but not the news I had expected. They regretted to inform me that David was now deceased from a heart attack after several months' travel. My heart sank as I considered what that meant for Victoria. She was doomed to be stuck on the boat, unable to be brought to peace. What a cruel and twisted fate. I thought of only how it was my responsibility to end her suffering, but I knew only one way to do so, and in the process, perhaps end my own. That same night, I drove to the dock and stared down at the sloop. I couldn't see any hint of the spirit that lingered there, but I felt her in the air. She was resentful and angry. Both that David and now I had abandoned her. If I set foot on it again, I knew my chances of being able to escape were slim. Why did I feel so guilty over these circumstances when clearly I was meant to be a scapegoat for this curse? Why did I feel a sense of obligation to Victoria? I knew the answers. My heart was connected to hers, and I had to accept I now bore a fear and love for the unknown. I got out of my car, gathered my things, and started walking to the dock, my fear kicking in when I stepped on the pier and she appeared in the night. Beautiful and haunting and delicate. She asked me why I came back. I hate myself, I told her. It makes two of us, she spat. I thought I could cure you, make this agony go away. But the only one that could do that is now six feet under, I explained. My husband's dead? Good, was all she said. I saw the anger and hurt and frustration in her eyes. She was trying to downplay the plight of her situation. She looked toward the items I carried. So, why are you here? If you're asking for my forgiveness, then be gone. I want nothing to do with you, she snapped. I think I was wrong. I admitted as I took a step closer. Come closer and I'll rip you to shreds, she snarled. I stepped into the sloop, the weight of my decision heavy, as I pulled up the rope. I laid down what I'd brought with me. I thought I was terrified to die, but that isn't true. I'm terrified of what will happen if I don't allow myself to accept my grief, I told her. There will be a plan to do. The night air was still, and you couldn't hear a pin drop in the emptiness. She was staring at the cans of gasoline. I want to sail, Vicky, I said as I moved to the stern of the boat. Will you come along with me? Her eyes closed, and she tried to understand what I was implying. It was a heavy feeling of relief when she said she would join me. We tethered off from the pier and began out to sea. The night was perfect, and I told her I wanted to give her the sunset that her husband never did. We said nothing during that voyage and watched the beauty of nature together as I reflected on my life. I knew where I belonged again, and I was finally accepting that my Deb was gone. As the event ended... Victoria asked if we were returning to the docks. There was fear and tension in her voice. Not this time, I said as I sailed further away. Away from everything. Toward only the night that was constantly engulfing us. I spread the gasoline around the ship enough for every speck of deck. She said nothing as we drifted into the endless ocean, and I watched the clouds part. I lit a match and held it close between us. Kindred spirits we were, and would become in this vast world. I dropped the match and let the flames encircle me, the boat ablaze in seconds. Together, we could sail straight to our eternity. I hope you enjoyed An Obsession with Death by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented featured author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash kyle-harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash k-y-l-e-h-a-r-r-i-s-o-n. 
And as our evening draws to a close, I'd like to give a nice big thank you to all of tonight's featured authors. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Story Time, dating back to 2014. Ten years now. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.